You are in the Grotto Pod. I am in the Grotto Pod, joined today, unusually, what? by co-host Bridget Quinn, author. She's oh. back, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, I am. Well, because the thing is, you know, I did two episodes with Lee. That he, sounds fun. He shined. It was oh fantastic. Now I'm scared. Well, we did them in the same day, but they're gonna. They got. Yeah. Posted in back-to-back weeks, so it seems yeah. like you were gone longer than you actually were. Oh, right. That's true. I was not gone that long, although no. I drove to Canada, so that takes a feel. You long. left the country. I did. Um, you know what? Why did you leave the country via car, rather? Oh, because you were... To leave the car. So, oh. taking my kid to college, leaving the car there. Can I say, though, I grew up near the Canadian border, so to me, the Canadian border is, like, not a border. Well... <laughs> it is now. It is. Holy moly. It yeah, I've told you many times my story of jumping across into Canada once when I lived in oh, Washington. Yeah. I drove yeah. up, parked, walked across the border, walked back. Such a lawbreaker. Can I tell you a funny thing, though? We were waiting for a visa, mm-hmm. so we had to go in the little waiting area and hand over all of our documentation and sit there for a while. I haven't been to Canada in a long time. Oh, it was crazy. (laughs) This is the funny part. We're sitting there watching and they have, like everywhere, right, like a big TV playing and they're playing like their version of CNN. Oh, yeah. CBC or whatever? Yeah, the CBC but is like PBS. This was more like a little more lively. Oh. But it was for the 40 minutes we were there, constant feed of Trump hating on Canada. (laughs) And I'm like, this this is going to be terrible. We're going to get turned away. (laughs) We know what sells. Yeah. Yep. Oh. But they let us in. But your boy made it to Canada. Yep. He's happy. He's happier than in SoCal. Art history class of all time. Oh, are you hoping it'll catch? He said he liked it. Both my husband and I, who both majored in, both have masters in art history, were like, he liked it. Roy was psyched. And we were blown away. All right. Enough about us. Oh, lots of trees there, though. Oh, it's beautiful. It's so it's beautiful, gorgeous. isn't it? Uh, why was I just thinking of someone? I was fires listening too. to a, a, a. Oh gosh, yeah. So many fires. So much smoke. There. I was listening to a podcast where someone was from Canada. Oh no, it was Seth Rogen talking about how he grew up in Vancouver, and I think, oh, Seth Rogen's a Canadian. How exotic! I'm like, wait, he grew up an hour and a half from Seattle. Oh, totally. It's. But you know what? Vancouver is exotic, feels though. very different. It yeah, doesn't feel yeah. like America in a, in a fun way. You know, when we lived in Seattle, we used to go to Portland all the time, never yeah. Vancouver. Well, Maybe it was the border issues. I was going to say, it might be that. I mean, there was a wait, and then the visa yeah. thing was scary. Yeah. But once we were there, how pleasant. Yeah, so pleasant. Yeah. Except for the weird accent. That kind of freaks me out. Sorry, Canada. If we have any that. Canadian listeners, I apologize. <laughs> oh, I hope we do. Let us know. Hey, if you're listening in Canada, let us know. Speaking of outdoors and trees, our guest yes. today is Kristen Kay. Uh, author of Tree Dreams. Good title. Yeah, it's a YA novel that was released this, this past April that has garnered some interesting uh, awards. Some interesting buzz. Buzz, I buzz. I wouldn't call them awards. And, and well, she did, it did win. It won the International Book Award. Yeah, that's a pretty big that's award. That's a pretty big one. Fiction. But I, I made the buzz YA. joke because BuzzFeed said it was one of five books to read to prep for Earth. Day. Yeah, and Bookster. Is that how you pronounce yeah. that? Uh, called it one of the 10 books to read to keep you woke. In 2018. In my case, that would not be to keep me woke. It would be to actually awaken. <laughs> How did me. it go? Uh, woke up? Being woke? Yeah. Uh, well, no, I don't actually feel any more woke than I was before, but perhaps I'm a different type of woke that is not yet registering uh, with today's In equipment. In the woke world. You know, this is not her first book. Uh, she no. also wrote a book called Iron Maidens, a celebration of the most <laughs> awesome female muscle in the world, which I think you're going to have fun I talking know. about. Uh, and it's interesting because it was uh, based on an idea she got while directing 25 muscly women for an off-Broadway show. How about that? I do need to hear that story. Yeah, I need to hear that story. The, the thing that stands out to me as I did my uh, Kristen K. research was not 
that she is a dedicated environmentalist. So I think she's going to want to talk about that. Because she's also created a very cool, what would you call it, promotional campaign? Does that sound Uh, too crass? That does sound too crass. It's a campaign and it does promote, but it's also, I think, (laughs) more of an activist, altruistic. Yes. Let, ecological. Let we'll let her describe how it works, but it's very what cool. Tree Dreams tag yeah. is um, it's no a real tag. And there's but there's one thing that I would like to learn from Kristen is that you go to her Wiki, or Wikipedia. You go to her uh, LinkedIn page. A lot of us have the LinkedIn mm-hmm. page. Yep. Even though sometimes are I wonder, are we connected on LinkedIn? We're not. I don't think we are. It's one of the few ways we're not connected <laughs> on LinkedIn. Um, I think it's. I always think it's kind of funny when someone who is a Grotto member or a writer links in with me. It's like. Does this really work for us? Or is it kind of like when I go to the career center in college and go, yeah, we got nothing for you. Sorry, pal. Does LinkedIn work? I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, not in my world. Anyways, if you go to Kristen's LinkedIn page, the reason why she has it is because she's not – she's juggling many sort of writing and writing adjacent – She's got it going on. Careers. Uh, Though she says she works at the intersection of nature, narrative, and spirituality. Oh, I like that. She also – where did I write this down? Things that she does. Shoot. I know I wrote it down. We could ask her. I could look at your text. She is. Yes, that's true. I did. Uh, so she writes the books. She ghost writes. And she is a content strategist. Oh, right. That's probably how she got the great idea about the tree tags. She's exploring all these different ways to basically to try to make a living as a writer. Content strategist. Content strategist. What is that exactly? It, well, I think it's someone you talk to when you were thinking about some content. You want to figure out how to lay it out there. How to like, get it, Make it viral. Is that what it does? I think she probably knows about all that stuff. Okay, I need to ask her about this. We're going to ask her about that stuff. She is local, though. She is originally an East Coaster, which I'm yep. also going to probe into. So many East Coasters. She uh, taught at the at Southern Oregon, which I think is really interesting because that is one of my favorite regions in the world. My nephew went there. Really? Mm-hmm. And wow. he, had, he said one of the best uh, professors he ever had was a writing teacher who was a woman. Could it be the same person? Let's check. Let's find out. There's only one way to find out, though. Well, let's just ask her. Is that to actually well, ask actually, her? Actually, her LinkedIn would probably say. If she taught your nephew? Well, no, you're right. That's not that specific. Okay. <laughs> you're right, and I'm wrong. For once. Hooray. Mark this date. Uh, <laughs> but really, we have a lot of questions, and there's only one way to get these answers, and that is to go get Kristen Kay, who, yep. as a grotto member, is lounging around the grotto as we speak. Which is actually very handy because well, we're a little over. We haven't had a, a grotto member on for a really long time, right? It feels like so long. Yeah, it feels it's like... It's so relaxing. I feel so relaxed. I know. It's so Not easy. Not that I, I like meeting new people. I like Absolutely. all that, but it's like much more Absolutely. planning. And, and we can throw in the whole, uh, what does a grotto mean to you? Because she's a fairly new grotto she member. She is new, but she won't tell us the truth. On uh, air, you think she will? She might. Okay. If it's positive, sure. Okay, yeah. So let's go we'll get her dirt, though. and uh, talk about trees. All right. Sounds good. Welcome to the Grotto Pod, Kristen Kay. You know I almost stumbled there. I know. I was saying uh, in my mind, thinking in my mind, uh, Kristen, it's a very straightforward name. Did we say it correctly? You did. Oh, thank God. How could, yeah, Kai, oh, Kristen Kai, we, Kirsten. We regularly mispronounce people's names. But you're pretty straightforward. Kristen Kay, yes. I like it. Yeah. <coughs> Kristen, it rolls off the t- I, tongue. And it's a good name. It is. So can I tell you a small story about of that? Of course. Absolutely. My maiden name was Piddle. 
Kittle. <laughs> Wait, because I was thinking, oh, what a great name her parents gave her, Kristen K. K- as long as your middle name isn't, no, doesn't also I, start with a K. I, when I met my husband-to-be, I was like, what's your last name? No, I didn't really do that. But I definitely was like, <laughs> That was K, the first like vetting. Kristen K. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. You get a ditch Piddle and move Kristen up alphabetically. Piddle is the name of a character in a Harry Potter story. <laughs> it is. It is. It is. <laughs> it is. I'd, I'd like to start by saying I think Kristen K., is the most prepared guest we've had to come into the grotto pod because of the water. The grotto. She said, "I I'm, I'm dressed appropriately." Oh yeah, she is prepared. I heard it gets really hot in here. I have a gigantic thing of water. I think hats no. off, literally. No. Thank you. Um, Chapeau, as they say. Um, now I want to hear about the book. Actually, first, before okay. we hear about the book, because okay. we were discussing this just oh, as yeah. a kickoff thing. Bridget had said we've asked five former guests the meaning of the term YA. Your yes. book is a YA book, and you said, ooh, ooh, I know, I know. So please share that with us now, because we've gotten all sorts of ambivalence from other YA authors. Mm-hmm. Well, so it was interesting, because I certainly didn't set out to write a YA book. I had a Already interesting. specific character in mind, mm-hmm. and the character spoke to me in a specific way, and I was really just trying to do service to that voice. And then as I was considering, um, you know, how I wanted it to be in the world, it was interesting because you use the term coming of age, which really can be applied to anything. Like, I think, remember the movie Stand By Me? Like, Absolutely. Yeah. Right, coming of age. Everybody really enjoyed that story. Or I think you can even write a coming of age of someone in middle age. You can come of age at any time. Educating Rita. Yes. Exactly. Because it's really coming to find your voice, right? It's Mm -hmm. coming to realize who you are and learning how to express that in the world. So I was not very connected or attached to what genre it it Mm -hmm. was or is, except that, you know, when you get into publishing, then everybody is like, well, where did it go on the bookshelf? I need to know. I need to know. YA kind of a great thing to have it be? Because I feel like there's a lot of readers. I don't know the answer to that. Mm. You know, so there are some people that will say, why is great? And it's mm-hmm. like the hottest genre right. in publishing right, right now. And Actually, I've heard middle grade. Well, who was the first person to call it YA? Was um, it an agent? Was it a publisher? Was it you? So, so interestingly, um, let me just think about this. Originally, it was going to be literary fiction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then... The Holy Grail. Right, right, exactly. The Holy Grail. Not the Holy Grail of sales, though. Well, no. So then there was the question of, um, I'm trying to think what it even technically is. I think that it's actually categorized as both. But when it has been submitted for awards, it won under YA. Right. And so now so it's great. like, now it's YA. So right. Right. so right now, technically YA, if I, if I am correct, I believe it's 13 to 16 is what YA is meant to mm-hmm. encompass. Now, meanwhile, I do not believe that Tree Dreams is really good for 13-year-olds. It depends on the 13-year-old. I think it's more high school and college yeah. and up. Mm-hmm. And like you said, coming of age is for anybody who's... Right. My kid's 17, voice. and I know yeah. she's going to love it. Yeah, 17. Yeah. Let me ask you this. If it was not a YA, however widely accepted that is as a title for it... Yeah. Whew, I did not express that That's well. That's all right. Um, would you also have... A study guide on your website. Would you also have? Would you have the kits? Would you have done all that? that? I love the whole world around Tree Dreams. is really inspiring and exciting. Can you talk about that? Yes. Well, um, let me think about how to talk about it without giving it. I know that's always the problem with tricky. Um, Yes. So, um, 
What I can say is that the main character has, uh, let's say, a mystical relationship to the forest, and she wants to share that. And one of the ways that she does it is she ties what she learns from trees, um, writes it down on tags, and ties those tags. For example? For example, um, the roots beneath our feet hold everything together. So they're like little poems. They're like little poems. Sometimes they're tree facts. Sometimes they're forest facts. Sometimes they're more whimsical or poetic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she'll tie these things so that other people can recognize this too. But I got really jealous of her, and so I wanted to do it. <laughs> and so I went to a friend of mine in Portland. I was living in Portland at the time, and she has an antique letter press in her backyard. Oh, She's fun. an incredible designer yeah. with this great collective called Cumbersome Multiples. And so I told her this idea that, I God, I really want to tag trees. How should we do this? And we just brainstormed and made these kits. So, so cool. They're a field guide to interconnection, and they're, like I said, quotes about stewardship and interconnection and facts about forests. And so then I started tagging trees too. And then other people started tagging trees and then it just kind of took off. So then teachers on their own adapted it for classrooms. So it just, it's like it had this how you want it to be. Yeah. Yeah. And, And to what degree does that to be crass feed sales? Well, so it's, it's interesting because it, because it took off on its own, and then there was, you know, especially with teachers, suddenly I was like, oh, schools, right. mm-hmm. this is great. And it it's one of these ideas that seems to be able to be applied and adapted in so many ways. It's easy to do mm-hmm. because you can talk about interconnection and stewardship with kindergartners and right. middle schoolers right. and high schoolers and college students. And so because there was some currency with this and then I got a grant to do just that. So then suddenly I was able to formalize the lesson plans and, and the grant also allows me to Fantastic. take these kits to schools that mm-hmm. need them. So, And, and how, how, how did you like that, making lesson plans? Um, Have you been a teacher? You are a content strategist. This is true. Which I want to get into later, but I can see some crossover then. Yes, yes. I am really interested in taking stories or taking ideas and finding really many different ways to communicate them and engage Mm -hmm. with different audiences. So I I get really jazzed about that. So some teachers automatically made their own lesson plans. So then I took cues from that. Mm -hmm. And um, my partner in Portland, uh, Tracy Schlapp, she also was working with some teachers there. And so, um, and then I also was working with um, different teachers. So suddenly it was this thing that we saw how they were using it, the um, things they were interested in communicating with their students. And it was pretty easy to just kind of put them together. Um, The big question came when suddenly, when I was in the process of formalizing this, Teachers were like, oh, this is really cool, but how does it line up with the standards that, you know, we have to check off the box? How do we make it worth our while? How do we see how it fits? Right. This was a big question. So So what did you come, what did you figure out? So I got myself, you know, knee deep in standards and (laughs) learned all about the many different kinds of standards and went into English standards and science standards and found the ones that applied directly to tree dreams. Do they vary from state to state? 
Um, they there are national standards, and then um, that's a good question. I I do not claim to be an expert in standards. I did enough to understand mm-hmm. how to make this work. Um, I do believe there are some state standards as well. So it eventually evolved into sort of a project-based learning approach. Yes. The best, in other words. Indeed. I agree. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, you know, I was a Waldorf teacher for years. Oh, you were? A high school teacher. Oh, and cool. a book like this would have been ideal. Oh, cool. For oh, nice teaching. to yeah. hear. Yeah, oh, cool. yeah. In fact, like I have all these little things firing in my head right yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I do too, but they're not. I You're not going to say that. I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> um, what I do want to talk about, though, is this idea that you seem to have taken a book that you did not intend necessarily to be aimed at teenage audiences and really taken the ball and run with it. So did that awaken something in you to where now you think, hey, this YA thing, I like this because there's all sorts of other ways you can go. Once it's, it's not just a book anymore. Yeah. It's a vehicle. Yeah. And it's a whole world really. Yeah. Yeah. Like I love that it intersects with the real world. That's very magical. And for Mm -hmm. a young person, that's what you want from books. Right. You want to like enter that world. Right. Right. Like, it's really a bummer that there's no Hogwarts. Oh, no, completely. Right? This is depressing <laughs> Completely. I mean, I remember that moment when I finally accepted Narnia didn't exist and yeah. how, like, devastating um, existential reality that was. Mm, mm. Um, but this world does exist. Well, so, I, I mean, it's, it's kind of part of what I wanted to make happen anyway because I think that, you know, trees are something we drive by and many mm-hmm. of us don't even notice them. And we don't realize that actually that they're being clear-cut at a, at a terrifying rate. And, and burning. And, bur- and, and, and burning. They were not burning at the time. But, um, but so I, I was like, how does this come to life? How do we see them? And so this tagging was a way of seeing, because if, if you see a tag and you happen to read it mm-hmm. and then you happen to consider, and even just the small action of the person who's writing it, suddenly they have this intentional um, uh, uh, commitment uh, to to see and, and consider an idea that m- is meaningful for them. But that seems like you said before it arose during the writing of the book. Yes, the yeah. original con- concept of the book, was it the character or was it the activism? Um, it was it was the it was responding to the clear cut forest outside of Portland. Okay, and you so were living in Portland at the time. I was living in Portland at the time, and there was a two lane road, Highway Twenty Six, that connects Portland to Seaside, Oregon. And it was driving on that road, and over time, clear cuts were coming closer and closer and closer mm-hmm. to this two lane. Usually, they don't do that. Usually, they keep a strip so you don't see it happening. Right. So that's fascinating. Right. They're meant to keep the strip, mm-hmm. and they started not being so careful mm-hmm. about the strip. Screw the strip. Screw yeah. the strip. We're Whatever. Screw we're cutting it, it anyway. At least so, they're honest. Know. Right. <laughs> exactly. And um, this, these clear cuts had a presence. You know, they really haunted me, mm-hmm. and I couldn't shake them. And so it was more a response to how can something that's not there have such a presence? And then how do I how do I respond to this? What's the best mm-hmm. thing to do? So it was really trying to write in response to this, and then I started having crazy dreams about trees. And it more just, axes, like, took on yeah. all of Why do you think your response, and, and is, maybe it's as simple as because you're trained as a writer, why your response was, I'm going to write about it instead of, you know, I'm going to join the Earth Liberation Front and set fire to some SUVs. I told you we were going to talk about that. Yeah. Um, 
That's a good question. And it's definitely something I wrestled with the whole time that I was writing it because I thought, why aren't I out there, um, you know, climbing trees and sitting at tree sits? Although I, I did as part of the research for the book. That's right. Um, but, you know, why am I choosing this as opposed to these other, you know, actions? And and I was really wrestling with the question of what is the right response? And I think at first there was a sense of, well, there are some actions that are exist for this moment or this period of time. But this addiction, I feel like we have in this country to consuming more and more and more is something that I feel like is much bigger than a, a, a small a, or an immediate action. And so I felt like writing was a way of trying to um, unravel that narrative, like talk about that. And I feel like there is a way in which we have a sense we have to run out and do something, which I think is true and necessary and needed. But I feel like sometimes we forget to consider the bigger story that is actually allowing us to think that it's okay to keep consuming more. So I was really interested in exploring that and, and seeing if I could really ponder and consider that question and write a story about that. Mm -hmm. And it's really not a matter of one or the other. I wanted to allow both to exist. Is it harder to form the story itself when the initial impetus for writing the book comes from activism? You know, you had an idea. I want, I want to, I, I don't want to go sit in trees and set fire to SUVs. I want to write about this. Mm-hmm. I think that's the best way I can handle it. So what's the story going to be? Also because I think sometimes when stories are driven by ideas rather than character or, mm. you know, something more mm-hmm. tangible, they yeah. can feel very false or very uh, propagandistic. Mm-hmm. And this doesn't feel that way. Good. Thank yeah. you. That's you said that way better than I did. Good oh, work. Thanks. Good work. We haven't um, seen each other in a while, so it's like a love fest. I know, today. totally. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <it's laughs> there. Right. So much to talk about. I, know. I was calling my daughter. I was like, oh, I'm going to see my, my work husband. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> nice. All right. So, what, wait, what was the question? The question was writing a story yeah. that doesn't start out as a story but as an idea. Right. How do you keep it grounded? How do you keep it a story? Right. How do you right. keep it in mind? Message. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a good question. And, um, I think that, um, again, I was really trying to um, point to a bigger experience that I had that still is mysterious to me. You know, how, how is it that I could drive by trees that are no longer there? And how is it that I could have dreams about trees that were very profound and deeply moving? So what was this presence that I was feeling? And what what um, what is that relationship? So on the one hand, you have the, the the temporal, practical, immediate needs of the fact that there's all this um, clear cutting, and we need to respond to this, and we need to stop it. And then at the same time, you have this bigger presence that is actually also exists, and and a, another experience that I wanted to give voice to. So. I kind of used that as my guide and then allowed the events of activism and, you know, how people are managing the forest and those details to exist within that bigger question Um, and always tried to serve the bigger question because I I, I don't – I find that it's not not black and white. But how do you balance that with serving the character, with pushing the plot forward? um, 
because I allowed those questions to be her pursuit. You know, I, mm. I embedded those questions okay. within her. And so the things that, that she couldn't, the things that I couldn't quite resolve, she can't quite resolve. And so, you know, she comes from this logging town in which she is, you know, grown up in a place in which there, you know, people see trees as board feet, you know, that come out of the other side of a mill and, you know, what the value of that is. And, and as meals. And his meals. Yeah. I'm actually impressed that you have that sensitivity. Um, just not to paint too broad a brush, but you're not from the West. No. Um, and it has been my experience at times that people who come from the East yes. have a kind of sentimental – it's it's real. I mean, mm. it's environmentalism is real. All of these things are important. But in terms of how Westerners have lived off the land mm. – um, I don't know. It's it not meals. It could be a little scapegoating yeah. of those people. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And I feel like you're able to hold both of those pictures. Thank and you. Why do you think that is? Well, I spent a lot of time interviewing tons of people. Mm-hmm. So I interviewed all kinds of people from, from loggers to um, conservation foresters to environmental activ- you know, mm-hmm. environmental activists who were at the tree sit and um, everybody in between. So I, I spent many years that's you know, so cool. Trailing people and saying, "How does this work? And mm-hmm. what is that?" And you know, going out there was one forester in particular the, who whose family owns 800 acres in the Oregon Coast Range, and you know, he's really wrestling with how to manage that for a hundred year view rather than right. a ten year view. Mm-hmm. And so, I and that's go, the thing: a lot of those people love the land, mm-hmm. right? So it's not that they is, hate the land; no. they hate trees, they hate whatever. They love it. I, my experience, and um, my experience was that actually, their love and relationship to the land is far more profound than most people because their the dirt is In under it. their yeah. fingernails, yeah. and so there's a. It's. I, I felt like the bigger mechanism had much more to do with a, a drive from the appetite. Okay. An addiction for for needing more mm-hmm. natural resources, and so many of us are kind of caught in the middle of this kind mm-hmm. of bigger wheel of you know corporations you know buying this land to to extract more from it, and a lot of the people in the logging community are a love the land and have been there a long time and have been doing this and been doing it well, and and are often you know caught in this complicated economic and political situation, right. and and yet we. We focus the attention mostly on the interaction between loggers and environmentalists, right. and, and the there's extremes. actually this biggest, yeah, right. this kind of bigger drive that I think is mm-hmm. that we're all so kind true. of part of. Isn't it kind of ironic? Do you ever think about this? That books are made out of trees. I do. Yeah. How do you stand on that? <laughs> well, I mean, we well, were just yeah. talking about that at lunch yesterday. Yeah. You know, you weren't there. No. And we were talking. We started talking about vinyl for records, mm-hmm. and then how that's such a more tactile, you know, rather than having. And his books are the same thing. You know, you got to kill the trees, man. You got to have that thing to hold in your hand. Mm. Personally, I don't care what the package looks like. I'll mm-hmm. read on anything. Mm. But a lot of people feel that way. So how do you balance? Are, a, are you one of those people? Like, no, nah, I like books. I can't read on an iPad. And if so, how do you balance that out? So I read a lot of nonfiction on my iPad because I use it for research for <laughs> projects, too, for and so reasons. I highlight it. And you know, so oh. it's like I can use the I can use Interactivity. the yeah, and saving things and sending it. It just it's, mm-hmm. it's it gives me much more facility with the stuff I want to research, and fiction I want to read. In I my hands. can't read fiction except in 
a physical book. Yeah. I don't know what it is. It's so strange. I can yeah. read bad fiction. Yeah, I can read We've bad fiction. We talked about too. that before. Yeah, I, I mean, I can fiction. read it, but I don't derive as but much But I don't pleasure. enter into it in the same way. Mm-hmm. It's, and I wonder if that's how, because of the way we were sort of raised, mm-hmm. we were raised doing it. But uh, it has been, I thought the Kindle was going to change my life, that I would never need to buy another book. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not, not been the case not at the all. Case. Yeah. The only bad, see, I think the bad thing about electronic books is you can't share them. Yeah, that's a bummer. Which I guess as writers, we're supposed to want that to happen, because mm-hmm. buy your own. Yeah. But you can't share them and you can't look at them. I also like to be reminded of my books. Like I mm-hmm. like to see them. Yeah, that's what I mean. So we have a bookshelf in our house. Um, my husband is and my daughter ridiculous read. I mean, they read at such a pace that it just puts me to shame. And and he's chosen books for the bookshelf that he wants to pass on to our daughter. Mm-hmm. You know, so such it's like idea. it's this beautiful yeah, testament so to the stories that have really shaped his life. Hmm. And oh my gosh, I love that. I, know, I love that too. So you were. Your focus was not always environment. I'll call it environmental fiction. I just made that up. I don't there think probably so. No, there is a word for it. Cli-fi is one. Cli-fi? Climate fiction. Oh, climate, oh, climate like, fiction. Yeah. <laughs> like, Who's Clyde? Clyde? Um, you Clyde. once wrote a book about muscle-bound women. I did. I, so I totally need to hear about this, and I was wondering when we could turn to this I want topic. to follow. I want to get on the journey now. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I want to get on the journey. I want to go sit back. back. Sit back. Ah, right, right. I'm going to move my chair. Oh, yeah. Settle in. Um... Not only did you write a book about muscly women, yeah. but you were inspired because you were producing an off-Broadway play. Mm-hmm. How does Tell one get from more. there right. to Ashland, Oregon, <laughs> yes. Portland, yeah. and then finally here? Yeah. First of all, how did you arrive at that? Did you grow up wanting to be a writer? I was originally in theater in New York, and I mm-hmm. uh, went to drama school at SUNY Purchase, and then is moved where, into Manhattan. Is that how Hartley went? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. What? Check out my Posey. Yeah, Gosh, check out my. There's a lot of names yep. that have first and last. Suny Purchase was known. Yeah, it's. Oh yeah, Suny Purchase. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah, yes, yes, yes. So I went there, and Great. then uh, I was in New York City, and I was doing theater. And um, are you from that area? Yes, since I'm 12, I was in DC before that. Okay. Yeah, East Coast. Um and um. Where am I going? I'm trying to... What, oh, in your life. Yeah. Tell us your about, life. How did you end up in You're Oregon? in the theater. How oh, start? yeah. I want to find out about the theater a first. So you're in the theater. But are you writing? Well, I was originally... Um, I, I will skip ahead a second to say that I, I had been in theater mm-hmm. and was doing some amazing theater in New York. And I will tell you about the bodybuilding thing because it is related to that. But mm-hmm. I'm going to jump ahead quickly to say that... Um, I was doing a, quite a bit of performance with a woman named Meredith Monk and just oh, doing yes. some amazing... <laughs> oh. Do you know her? Yes. Yes. Oh. Yes. She's, she's... Meredith Monk. Fantastic. Very, yep. very fantastic. Gifted music. woman. Yes, yep. music. Um, and, but, but the funny thing, you know, being, you know, young and 20 and, like, itchy for you know, all kinds of experience, I was like, oh, I, I just... I, I want health insurance and I want some money. And yeah. and I love this. It was a very kind of um, avant-garde theater world that I was in, and I felt like it was a little insular. What time period is this? Mm, early 90s. Early 90s. Same. I was there. Same mm-hmm. In the art world. Oh. Okay. Have some things to chat about, clearly. Yes. Um, and um, so technology comes along, and suddenly I'm like, oh, well, so telling stories for the stage is one thing, but telling stories for technology, that's probably not that much different. And so I got a job uh, in a CD-ROM company that was adapting literature for CD-ROM. Hmm. And so I, through a strange series of events, ended up um, 
working with the John Steinbeck estate to adapt his legacy for CD-ROM. Ooh, now we're talking. Oh. That was cool. And how yeah. does that go over in the avant-garde film world, or uh, theater Steinbeck. world? <laughs> well, I kind of stepped away from the theater yeah. world. And, and, and was the, that a difficult decision? It was. It was. But interesting, I feel like I'm kind of... Going full circle? I'm kind of interested it. in some stage things. Oh. So we'll see. Yeah. But... Um, uh, but there was something very twinkly and shiny about technology and the CD-ROM thing. And I was like, what is this? CD-ROM. Somebody, I, I remember, remember CD-ROMs CD-ROM. were like the ultimate. So yeah. I worked at the Met when oh. we got the first pitches to yes. do CD-ROMs yes. of the collection. Yes. And everyone in my department was like, what's a CD-ROM? What's and I called my husband and was like, do you know what the CD-ROM thing is? He's yeah. like, yeah. And he told me. And we're all like, oh, that'll never go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and he continued. It's crazy, right? <laughs> yeah, it was um it was a progression. I worked with the Leonard Bernstein estate. You know, it was really, really cool so because cool. everybody suddenly there was this opportunity to consolidate information and give access to all kinds so, of people. So this isn't a tale of, yeah, man, I had to sell out. It's a tale of I found something really exciting and new. Yes. That yes. happened to give me health insurance. At, yes, exactly, and a lot of opportunity. There was a lot of energy around, you know, as it we know. It is exciting. You know, technology has changed our mm-hmm. lives. You know, now we're like, oh, I don't know if that's yeah. right. But at the time, it was, you know, had a lot of potential. Um, so so that led me to the West Coast, and I mean, I could go on, but th- that's how I ended up out here. Okay. Bodybuilding. Bodybuilding. So Back to bodybuilding. Back to bodybuilding. Always. So, um, all right, it is a story. That's Mm -hmm. why I wrote the book, but I will make it short. So I was looking for work. As one does. And there was an ad in the back of the Village Voice. I know, which is closing. I know, so sad. R.I.P. Village Voice. (laughs) Well said. Yes. Um, Administrative assistant needed for a citing women's project. And so I just graduated from college. Didn't you think it was porn? I would immediately think porn. I would think it was porn. I didn't. Yeah. Okay, I didn't, well, it didn't I'll, even cross my fantastic. mind. Fantastic. Oh, God. So okay. naive. <laughs> or, or I'm terrible. Okay, sorry. <laughs> and, um, you know, I just graduated from college and you know, I took a women's studies class. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, women Fired up. Why? I was like, this is awesome. Women Two wives. And so um, I met this woman who called herself an intellectual physique artist. God, oh I boy! Everything That's my favorite Zappa so album. And her dad is the man who made the South African, you know, graphic design fist oh, from apartheid. Oh. And her mom was like a scholar, and you know, she was she was brilliant and a bodybuilder. And she wanted to create an event that would feature twenty five of the world's strongest and most muscular women at Roseland Ballroom. Oh my God! How did I not know about this? Oh when my was God. this? Uh, Nineteen ninety three. Oh, I can't believe it. And so I said, well, you know, I just graduated from SUNY Purchase with a drama degree, and maybe I could help you out, you know, with the dramatic yeah, side of yeah. the project. And um, so I was house-sitting somewhere in Westchester, and I get an, a, a voicemail because she had said, okay, well, why don't you send me some of your material? And I was like, okay. So she on leaves a answering message. Machine. On the answering <laughs> machine, she says. Mail it to me. Um, I had already mailed it to her, so she had had time to review it. So she said, okay. Um, the administrative assistant position is full, but oh. I'm interested. Maybe you would like to be the playwright and director of the celebration of the most awesome <laughs> <female> muscle <laughs> in like, the world. I'm sorry, the walk-on oh, cameo is full. Would you God. like to be the star? <laughs> 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 That's crazy. Did you freak out though? Was I it totally like uh, out. too I was much? Like, what? 
panicked. I was like, oh my God. It's so good you did it, though. And so you're like, okay, this is too much. So I called her back. Wait. Okay, I called her back. Yeah. And I was like, (laughs) the guy answers, some guy answers the phone. And I'm like, you know, is so and so, is so and so there? He's like, I don't know who you're talking about. What? I you got the wrong number. And I was like, oh, No, no way! I can't. I just wrote this down. There's no way. And he's like, Wait, wait, wait. I think I know who she is. One sec. And so he calls her name, and like I hear this like clanking, you know, like really glass like, breaking. What the hell is going on? <laughs> and she picks up the phone. She's like, Who's this? I'm like, Well, this is Kristen, and I'm calling you back. And I mean, yes, I'd really like the job. And she's like, Kristen, how do you know this number? Like, well, you just left it on my voicemail. She's like, this is the payphone in the gym that I work out in. I couldn't have left you this number because there's no way I know it. And I'm like, what? What? So then I give her the number and she realizes that it is just like her own phone number, but I wrote the digits wrong. Whoa. What? That is crazy. That's totally crazy. I love stories like this. I love them. It was the payphone in the gym and she happened to be working out. It's like a Paul Oster story. So we both were like, oh, my God, this is meant to be. <laughs> I and it was. This. And it was meant to be. And it was. It was quite, that quite is an, so crazy. Yeah, crazy story. But how did you emerge from this with a book rather than a career producing and writing well, plays? Well, because the show didn't go very well. Oh. <laughs> it is a hard sell. I mean, what do you uh, do yeah, with that? I'm not sure I would have gone and seen it. Oh, I wouldn't want to see it, but how do you make something? Is it like chore- choreography? Or? Right. All right. So all of these women were all over the world. I would not right. see them until two days before the show. Right. Okay. That's I was going to have to direct the whole thing over the phone. <laughs> and I had no idea at all the subculture and the world that I was stepping into. Sure. And I was young enough to not have the wherewithal to understand really how to dig into it. Right. And you're 22 years old. Yeah. I, this is, I mean, I, I, I was working in a bar. I, well, I, was, I was working, I was yeah. a researcher for the ESPN X games for sports. I didn't know it's the same exact thing, yes. right? Like to try and explain right. BMX, you know, freestyle and get into that world and try and find it out without a journalism background, without nothing. It was hard. It was hard. Well, and, and the, um, the woman who, um, whose idea this was, you know, she's high minded. Right. And so she basically was like, I want this to be like about women's power and strength. And yet when I was talking to women on the phone, they were like, well, I'd like to have a smoke machine. I'm going to wear a lace thong. I'm oh, going to like bust up a guy. They wanted a freak show. And I was like, um, uh, how, like, how does this work right. together? And also there's in those subcultures, there are so many things that you couldn't even know are for, b- forbidden or couldn't even know are the thing or there's just so many. But you sort of had to respect that. Like the smoke machine, like, well, that's the real deal. <laughs> well, it like I just kept descending deeper into the question of female power and then like like oppressed female power. And it just, it you know, I, I just kept descending. And meanwhile, you know, I would only have two days with them when they came. And what I didn't know is really that there's this massive subculture of people who adore women's bodies, you know, the mm-hmm. female bodies. And, and mm-hmm. what I didn't know... How does that break both ways? What is that? Like positive and negative? Well, it's it's like a fetish culture. Yeah, so like you got hooters and hoot, like, oh, in the audience. <laughs> right. they, they literally have a term. And, and, and they're called what? Schmoes. 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 So, hmm. so um, the, in the bodybuilding world at the time, the International Federation of Bodybuilders 
was very conflicted about what a woman's body should look like. Right, I remember. Oh this. yeah, I remember that. Mm-hmm. So if they want to be, um, if they want to be big and pushing the limits of what a female body is able to do, which up to that point really had not been possible, and this at this time they're really, really pushing the limits. Well, the the every year the IFBB would come back and say, well. This year we're going to judge you on hair, nails, and makeup, and you can be big but not too big. And everyone's right. like, "What's I remember, too big?" I remember these years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then you kind of butt up against questions of "Don't tell us what to be," along with, "Well, what's the pharmaceutical help you're getting here?" Well, nobody really talked. Like everybody kind of turns a blind eye to that. Mm-hmm. So, so um, it was um, more a question of just. Like, what is this objective standard? But for men, it's easy. And for women, it wasn't. Because right, what's right. femininity? And, and how does femininity come, in, come into how you're being judged? Like, what's the point of that? And men anyway? are being judged on their hair and nails. <laughs> right? They're being judged on their muscle size. Right. Right. Exactly. So you could have gone real deep on this. So what I, but what I didn't understand was that the layers of... Um, <sighs> I mean, it's like, it's, it's complicated. What I didn't know is that in so as to be able to be a, a professional bodybuilder that wasn't able to get paid for what they were doing, if they didn't adhere uh, to a certain feminine going. thing, then suddenly there was this whole subculture of women who wrestle men for a living. Mm-hmm. And there's it's like a reverse whole, Andy Kaufman thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's this whole subculture of, of of fetish having to do with actually women in power and men being overpowered. This sounds less and less like an off Broadway show and more and more like a documentary film. Yes, completely. Well, so so what? But I didn't know any of that at the time. All right. I knew is that when the women showed up for rehearsal, most of them didn't come to rehearsal. Because they had clients. Oh, they were busy. They were busy. So I was like very earnestly trying to get, you know, everybody to, you know, know their part and, and nobody was the same there. direction. And yeah. suddenly I was like, oh my God. You know, be, there's something happened. way more fascinating going on. And I didn't even know that at the time. If you had, so if, you, if someone came to you tomorrow with a similar offer to do something you didn't know how to do, would you take the job? <sighs> I can only say that I would go on my gut instinct. Yeah. But it's so different now because now you could do all this internet research. You could yeah. see things. You could go to message boards. You could do all this stuff. It's so hard to convey how blind it was. Mm-hmm. It you was wouldn't, so yeah, you wouldn't blind. be calling a payphone in a gym. I know that much. <laughs> no, well, yes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. So, so it would be more like I would, you know, I think now I have some questions that I would need to have answered and some things that I would, you know. A and, jumping off point. And, and was all of that the impetus then to write a book? Say, boy, so this is going to make a great book. The show went so poorly. Now, there were 2,000 people that showed up. Wow. Yeah, These like were the fans of the bodybuilders right. who mm-hmm. sometimes missed their cue because they were out front signing autographs. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I meanwhile, my, like a professor of mine had been a theater reviewer for The Village Voice. Like I bring my whole theater world because I'm like, I'm, you know, on Broadway. <laughs> and I did not know anything about what was really happening within the community. I was really naive and I was very um, self-centered in what Mm -hmm. I was trying to do. So, um, so the, yeah. (laughs) Um, 
I just got lost in my thought. Uh, so they all well, promised so it went, 2,000 people. It became right. a book. It became a book because, you know, the people in the audience were, like, when I did my, like, arty interludes, they were like, what is this art? Like, <laughs> yelling, you know. Yeah, did they have huge, out, like, big outer borough accents while they're yelling this? Oh, they're they're from all over. No, they're, they're all from all over the place, oh, okay. actually. People flat, flew in for this. That's kind of too bad. I kind of want the... So there's kind of a beautiful way that there's this kind of like incredible worshiping of female power and strength in, on one level. So the show itself didn't go so well. And I was so personally, although there was a New Yorker thing about it, like talk of the town. Oh, like, my gosh. I know. And also, I mean, it's kind of like today, like who cares? Because you got to say that you did it. I mean, at that age, yeah. right? You get to say that you did it. You have the New Yorker clip. You have whatever. Move on. I'm sure that's possible mm, when you're 22. To yeah, live. I'm sure that's not your thought process not at, at all. the time. Well, it, it, from, from a theatrical perspective, it was a disaster. I'm right? sure. And, and I felt horrified. Um, did you feel like, also, I'll never work again? I'll never work again. This is, you know, and I was like, and how, like, this all happened because of that weird phone call? Like, <laughs> Wait, how, like, what? what? What is the universe telling me? <laughs> I suck. So it was many years later that I wrote it because then okay, I realized there was later. tons that I didn't know or understand. That's very cool. Let's jump ahead then and, and get you west because I want to hear about your, your environmental awakening. Yes. And it, it, did it come just from driving down that road over and over again? Well, I definitely think in the Pacific Northwest and in Northern California, the landscape is very palpable. Yes. And... When you live in a place also where there are also lots of clear cuts, that's equally disturb, like palpable and and um, disturbing. So yeah, maybe it is. You know that I was driving back and forth on that road a lot, and um, um, I just—it's hard to describe. I just suddenly was like really paying attention to trees, and just felt like they emanated a presence. And suddenly, for me, they were not inanimate objects that just happened to kind of be in the parking strip, but that really they are living beings. And and up to that point, what was your trajectory? What were you writing about then, other than muscly women? Um, you know, um, I. Uh, I'm trying to think. I went to grad school uh, for writing, MFA, and so and my I did the bodybuilding book as my thesis okay. and sold it all at the same time. So cool. Where did, where did you go? I started at Cal Arts, mm-hmm. and then wow. my husband got a job in Portland. That's how we ended up there. So I transferred up to Portland State University. I taught there and finished at PSU. Yeah. What, what? what years were you there? Two thousand and one. After me. <laughs> Sorry, Zelly, not first. this time. You were there first. But um, Cal Arts, that's an interesting yeah. choice. I mean, yeah. I think it's fantastic. I actually didn't know they had an MFA program when I oh, yeah. read that in your, yes. on your LinkedIn page. Oh, oh wow. LinkedIn, yes. Yeah. Good yeah, sure. It's the first place the I go. He's the Google really? dude. Yeah. So that's so interesting. Even though during our intro, we were wondering why writers have LinkedIn pages. So it's so funny. <laughs> and now we're going to find <laughs> out. So awesome. yeah. Well, no, because it's but you have some other... people look look at LinkedIn, and so it's like... I, I know. I'm know. Online. It made me think, like, I better make sure mine's updated. I don't yeah, even know the last updated. time I looked at it. But I do feel like writers with LinkedIn pages, it just reminds me of going to the career center in college and having them say, we can't help you. <laughs> do you want to sell copiers? No. Right. So, Arts, then you went to PSU. I went to PSU. And got an MFA in right. nonfiction or fiction or something uh, in between. Yeah, literary nonfiction. Yeah. Okay. okay. Um, and so I, but throughout the whole time, I actually had my first encounter with a Redwood in Muir Woods, probably in the early 90s. I lived here briefly. And I, I, was, I was just blown away. And, mm-hmm. and then I learned this tree fact. Oh, you hadn't seen one before? No. Oh, yeah, there's some. No. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Suddenly you're like, oh. I know. It's amazing. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. And I learned that when a redwood tree dies, new trees grow from the roots of the Mm -hmm. fallen tree in a circle around that tree. And they're called family circles. And this, to me, just completely captured my imagination. And had there been any? Had you had any inkling before? I mean, I know, growing up on the East Coast, there's not quite the scale that there is out mm. here mm. as far as setting. But had you, I don't know, had you celebrated oh, Earth Day? Had like, you done? You're much of tree. Yeah, I mean, upstate New York is gorgeous, and yeah. fall. You're from ups- Are you from upstate New York? No, no, just well, so north of Manhattan. Though. Well, that's yeah. twenty miles north of yeah. the city, but it's you know still yeah, yeah. still not okay, not upstate. It's not yeah, but tree. The trees are gorgeous. Yeah, I love season. I'm just very like uh, senses. I love the senses. It's yeah, like these tactile too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I the smell of fall makes me nuts. You know, I go crazy I know, for I love it. That too. And, you know the the color of the leaves and and the summer rain and you know I just now you're making me sad because you don't get any of that say, stuff. That's really good, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I definitely have a connection to nature, but I did, and and yes, when I was in high school, I was you know part of the like no nukes group. And, okay. You know, I, I definitely care about the earth, but I, I it wasn't it was definitely not something that I I would I don't know that I would have called myself an environmentalist, but then when I'm living. Um, this question about the tree roots and the family circles, it really captured my imagination. And I was like, what do we do when something we love dies? Mm. Like, do we come together? Something or someone? Well, good question, right? Like it can be a a way of life. Mm -hmm. It can be democracy. (laughs) It can be your grandma. Like what do we collectively do? And, 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 And I just was so inspired by this idea of like coming together and creating new life from what came before. So this is, I mean, it's a a survival mechanism for redwoods that allows them to live for 2000 years. Right. But meanwhile, I'm like, but there was something about it that I thought, oh, this is really instructive. And meanwhile, I feel like we tend to draw lines in the sand and Mm -hmm. be like, well, I'm protecting what's on my side and you over there, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. So I really wanted to write about that. And when did um, ask like timeline here? Yes. When did you start conceptualizing then that that would be tree dreams? I didn't know. How, so if that lived in my imagination for like ten years, because I was like, well, how do you write about trees? And how do trees tell you? What I would they think know? it would be hard to write about trees, actually, because you don't notice them. What yeah. are they anyway? They're just this thing on the and side. So many of people the care about it and think it's an interesting story. And yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and and if and you know, if you say, well, trees talk to me, then you're like, well, what do they say? Oh, they talk. Oh, when? What, what are that? the years of Julia Butterfly Hill? That so oh, that yeah. all takes place where this town is. So yeah. this is this is based on the town of Scotia, which yep. is in Humboldt County. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so that all took place in the late eighties, early nineties. Oh, it was that long ago. Oh my oh gosh. Whoa. Early nineties. Yeah. Holy moly, I had no idea it was long ago. <laughs> I, I, I think I'm gonna correct myself. I think it's more the early nineties. Yeah, but still, mm-hmm. it was still long. It's a long time ago. <laughs> it's a long time wow. ago. Yeah. So so I that question I wrestled with for a long time because I also did not have my chaps as a writer and I just was like didn't know what to do with it so when the body the opportunity to write the bodybuilding book came up I was like all right I'm gonna just do this but then as soon as I was done with that I was like okay because I'm living in Portland Oregon by now Mm -hmm. and you know the hillsides are crying and you know and I'm dreaming of trees and so I'm like I need to do this how Mm -hmm. do I do this 
So I um, spent quite a bit of time writing it like in rotating first person and a third mm. person. And, you know, because I do have a character who communicates with trees. And so. were you doing research at this time too? Yes. So smart. Yes. That's where it's good that you studied nonfiction. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Absolutely. Because I definitely approach this as a nonfiction piece as far so as research smart. because I knew nothing about trees whatsoever. You and just so, knew they affected you deeply. Exactly. So then it was like, I need to learn. So mm-hmm. I took like Urban Forestry 101 in oh, Portland. Wow, you really went and into I wow. became a tree steward, a neighborhood tree steward. And there was an organization called, um, like I found this guy in my neighborhood. Somehow I heard about him climbing big trees. So I was like, I kind of stalked him for a little while. And then I was like, I heard you do something with trees. And he was part of an organization called Ascending the Giants that climbs and measures the biggest tree of each species for the hmm. National Big Tree Registry. Let me ask you this. What? Yes. What is that? <laughs> when you are conceptualizing a book, yeah. does that part feel like working on the book? You know what I mean? Because oh, yeah. a lot of times we talk to people who are trying to figure out what counts as work. Mm. And I know doing laundry doesn't. Right. But does answering emails? Mm. Does no. Google, you know, does, does searching right. on oh, Google. Yeah. But when you were doing that, were you thinking, were you cognizant of this idea? This is working toward my book. Yeah. Well, um, I just was really interested. And I knew that I couldn't write about it without... Mm-hmm. knowing about it. So I had to know about it. And so they kind of all were mixed together because I was very okay. interested. And, and did you have your main character in your head at that point? I had the, her voice, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I was trying to figure out how she was going to talk. And again, I started with rotating first person between her, her dad, her mom, and her sister. Mm, that's um, a challenge. Which is a challenge. I never like that as a reader. Almost so, never. So interesting. People either like it or they don't like it. I hate getting pulled back out of the consciousness. You do? Mm-hmm. You don't find it interesting to see things from different points of view? Mm-hmm. That part, I think, is worthwhile. I know some people really like it. I, I, I do know books where I think it's worked great. I thought that Shanti's book, Lucky Boy, where it's two consciousness, mm. that I loved. Um, but more than that, I, I noticed a lot of YA does that hmm. using multiple points of view. Yeah. Um, at any rate, carry on. Yeah, makes a mental note okay. to remove multiple points of view yes. from. Yes, yes, Larry, and your future writing. <laughs> I think the biggest question was more how do I write an internal conversation Correct. with a tree? Right. That feels like a two-way conversation. Mm -hmm. How do you write – how do you give language to a very um, mystical experience? Most importantly, how are they going to do it in the movie? Exactly. <laughs> that's what I want to know. Me too. I hope they figure out a really good way. Well, that's a good point because that is, you know, that's a that's a dicey thing to sell. It's a dicey thing because to sell. you don't want because if you don't sell it right, then people are reading going, "Well, this kid's nuts." Exactly. Right. <laughs> I, and and I think part of why I was wrestling with it for so long was because I was a little bit like, "Well, mm-hmm. are people going to think I'm nuts?" You know, it's like it's very interesting to. Um, to consider that. So from, so you research, you have the idea for years, you research thoroughly. Then when do you sit down and say, put in pen, pencil to paper, pen to paper, fingers fingers to keyboard. keyboard, Yeah. Yeah. Um, I started trying, you know, even though I didn't know much Uh and what I find when I'm writing is that my writing doesn't flow when I don't know enough. So I was Mm -hmm. kind of in this kind of like jerky, you know, you know, awkward writing phase where it just felt fraught because I just didn't know enough. So, like, I needed to 
spend as much time as possible. And I was writing and it was messy for a really long time. And then I got to the point where I, I was like, I knew that I needed to be at a tree sit. And I was like, I really don't know how I'm going to do this. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, you can't, I, I felt like I could not, because yeah. there, there wasn't like, there wasn't like there were a ton of videos or anything like that at the time. Right. You know, there wasn't like lots of, for, you know, like right. footage of the canopy of redwoods that I could pretend and get up there and kind of, did you? Sense of it. And I've heard it's hard to join. I, I was reading right. a lot about the Earth Liberation Front last night, mm. and you can't just show up and go, "Hi, I'd like to join you guys," because mm-hmm. they're suspicious. For good reason. Correct. I was I was vetted. For sure. You were vetted. Absolutely. This time they had the internet to use to help. Well, no, I don't even think so much. What happened was that my daughter was in preschool. And um, there was a, a young teacher who had a kind of a funny name. And like I, free or something like this, right? <laughs> so, so I, I, I approached him. as like, yeah, what a crazy name! Why? You know, how'd you get that name? And he said, Well, actually, I'm a forest. I was a forest defender, and we choose these names oh. um, to protect our identity. And I was like, Forest defender, really? Mm. And would you let me ask you some questions? <laughs> he was very gracious, and um, he started telling me about what it was like for him, and he was at many of you know these wow, events and cool. thought it was really cool. Yeah. And then you know after two or three times, he said, do you uh, want to meet? There was, there was one young man who um, had been considered one of the top ten envi- environmental eco-terrorists, I think, had been in prison, and he had just gotten out. He's like, do you want to talk to him? Critter? What's that? Was it critter? It wasn't critter. Okay. That's what I read Are about they all vegetarians thing. or vegans? No. Interesting. No. <laughs> <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> and so I, inter- you know, I, I went to meet with him. He had just gotten out of prison in Canada, and he was like, I have to be in a public place. I'm not allowed to be in private. I can't be meeting with people in private. Will you meet me at this park? And I was like, sure. And, and you know, we're sitting in the middle of this park in the middle of Portland, and there are people walking by photographing us, you know, and I'm like, this is... Did you feel at all like you were putting yourself at risk? Certainly. Yeah, yeah. 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 But I, 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 um, um, if I was writing about this, that also meant that I had to care about it. Right. To and probably risks. Yeah, to get the feeling of how it feels to be taking that risk. I mean, that, and also, I, I think I also believe in, um, there being free speech for people to talk to each other and that it is it is important to be able to consider how to, what we can protect and how we can protect it and so i had to kind of really venture into that territory of like i um believe these things and so therefore i will physically put myself in these situations mm-hmm. because kind of whatever happens i believe in that so he's the one who said well and there were no tree sits in the country at the time there was no occupy anything mm-hmm. there was no um social media, none of that. And, um, and it was really quiet as far as activism. And that was also part of the motivation because I thought nobody's doing anything. Mm-hmm. And now I was curious about why that was. So he said, well, there's one tree set in the country right now. Do you want to go? Where was it? Uh, in Humboldt County. Oh, okay. I said, yes, I would love to go. So then wow. suddenly he's like, okay, well, just wait for a call, basically. 
What did your husband say to this? My husband would have been like, no. I have a preschool age kid. Sorry. I know. I'm out. Exactly. I'll go sit in a tree for a couple weeks. You know, my husband's from South Africa and mm. grew up in apartheid South Africa. That's very cool. And left the country because he would have been conscripted into the army. And, you know, it was one of the first... Um, one of the first band of activists in, in the country. You know, he has a he gets has an it. understanding and appetite for this, yeah. and um, and yeah. also reads tons. So he, you know, he loves how goes through the books. Come to be. Yeah. Um, I have a question. Yeah. And we're actually starting to need to wind down of a little course. bit. So it sounds like this is now your life's work, but how is that going to translate itself into the next book? Mm, good question. Mm. And is that already underway? Yes. You're here. Just You're a grotto here. member. <laughs> I saw you working. <laughs> um, well, um, Tree Dreams has definitely taken on a life of its own. Mm. Um, the um, educational component um, is really fascinating, and um, it's a thrill to me to work with teachers to help them bring it into the classroom. How much of your time is that taking up? Right, this is the question. Um it could be full time easily. Mm-hmm. So it is right now. I'm in this kind of funny dance of learning how to um, support that and and also continue on other projects. So um, I can't say that I know the formula right now. Right, it's, because I guess the question would be now: Are you a writer first, or are you an environmental activist who serves that by writing? Because um, if it's the latter, then this work is valuable, yeah. equally valuable. Right. Um. This work is is definitely bringing me into very interesting uh, communication with all kinds of people now who are working to define resilience when our forests are burning. Um, you know, being part of helping to shift the narrative. Um, you know, working with people who are interested in policy and you know um, foresters, and there's there's. There's all kinds of ways in which these things are so interrelated and, and you know, kind of going back to what we were talking about in the beginning, the story of how we relate to forests still, you know, is shifting. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. that bigger question of, you know, what is the story and, and how, what do we believe about forests is still something I'm very active in. So that takes a lot of time and a new book is, you know, oh, underway. Yeah. So, And is so it fiction? It will be a memoir. Okay. Oh, cool. Go on the memoir right. route. Mm-hmm. Yep. There's a lot there. A lot there. I can see that. Mm-hmm. There is a lot there, but unfortunately, we're out of time. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, my gosh. This was really fantastic. Fun. Thank you for coming. Uh, tell our listeners where they can find the book and where they can find you online. So I have two websites, kristink.com. That's right. And there's also treedreams.net. So all of the people who've been tagging trees with their dreams of interconnection send me pictures of their tags. So treedreams.net is a record of all of these tags all over the world. And... um, and is where teachers can download um, lesson plans and also where Tree Dreams kits. If you want to be a Tree Dreams tagger too, I have the little kits that are for sale. On it's pretty website. cool. Check it out, treedreams.net. Absolutely fascinating. And this it. will be going live on September 18th. Do you have any appearances right around then? Oh, yeah. There's. Um, I'll be interviewing David Harris, who wrote The Last Stand, mm-hmm. um, which is about everything that happened in Humboldt, California. So that's part of Litquake in October mm. at the um, San Francisco Botanical Gardens. And then I will be teaching urban nature writing here that's right. at the Grotto. When is that coming up? October 20th and 27th. That is fantastic. And you can go to sfgrotto.org to find out yep, more information about that. Yep. 
Bridget? Larry, it's the same as always. You can find me at BridgetQuinnAuthor.com or on Instagram or Twitter at BeQuintrest. And you can find me at that Larry Rosen. And guess what? 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 Is It Good for the Jews is back I online. Saw that. You can find my other podcast at isitgoodforthejews.com. As for us here at the Grotto Pod, you can email us at grottopod at gmail. You can follow us on Twitter at the Grotto Pod. You can follow us on Instagram at the Grotto Pod. What else can you do? You, you can, can go to subscribe iTunes and, and subscribe and give us as many stars as there are to give. Yes, please. Meanwhile, there's a couple other pieces of housekeeping to take care of. I would like to thank our producers, Lee Kravitz, Beth Weingartner, and Lori Ann Doyle. Good job. And I would like to say R.I.P. Burt Reynolds. I just found out before we uh, recorded and I'm bummed. There goes my childhood. I know. Same. There's only one thing left to say, and what is it? It is to read, write, and just keep working.